Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Modern Adventurer podcast. Brutally cold, about minus 15 to minus 18, the wind chill. Um, and I knew that I wouldn't make it back to the village before I ran out of food. So I faced a really tricky decision, um, but ended up having to activate the SOS on my Garmin my sort of GPS device and um, yeah got rescued by a helicopter which was all quite dramatic and I really don't like being the one that causes a causes a scene and makes a fuss. I'm John Horsfall, an adventure athlete who has pursued numerous expeditions around the world. My hope is that on this podcast we can look to explore the big topics in the world of travel and adventure. This podcast talks to adventurers and explorers around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders from all walks of life. We listen to the crazy stories from their expeditions and tragic losses and sacrifices they have made. My next guest is an adventurer and photographer. She quit her comfortable job in a law firm to kayak from London to the Black Sea, breaking records along the way, as well as trekking in the cold wilderness of Scandinavia. I am delighted to introduce Anna Blackwell to the show. I think probably the best thing to do is to sort of just introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and where you're from. Yeah, sure. So my name is Anna Blackwell. I am an adventurer, writer, speaker, photographer, uh, and I've also just finished studying a master's in environment and human health. Uh, managed to work my uh, passion for adventure into that as well in my thesis, which is all about how adventure shapes resilience, uh, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. We we were speaking the other day about resilience, and I was saying that. In terms of doing these trips, which, you know, where you have to endure some hor- horrendous situations, you know, and people listening would be like, why would you put yourself through it? I think it builds character and it builds resilience to actually when something does happen that is completely out of your control, you adapt far better than otherwise if you were not prepared for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's not only the adapting, but it's actually how you deal uh, with challenge or the aftermath of challenge as well. Um, so it's not just about being able to kind of successfully deal with that challenge. But it's about being able to grow through it as well and sort of gain positives from it, whether that's kind of more confidence or skills to deal with other challenges in the future. Yeah, resilience is key. And adventure is a brilliant way to build your resilience. <laughs> And so how did, how did you get into these sort of adventures? How did it all start? So I think really, I, I guess I trace it back to my gap year. So I was about 18, I think. Um, and I ended up going out to Central America with a um, sort of gap year company. 
And part of what I was doing there was a couple of weeks of trekking in Costa Rica. And at this point, I'd never done any sort of really physical things. Like I'd done bronze Duke of Edinburgh award at school and I had hated it and got to the end of it and said that I was never trekking and camping ever again. And yet I then found myself trekking and camping for three weeks in mountains and jungles and along beaches. Um, And I got to the end of that trip and I so distinctly remember everyone else in the group sort of crying tears of relief that this horrendous ordeal was over and that they didn't have to put their boots and their rucksack on the next day. And I just remember taking myself away into the corner and crying because I was so heartbroken that this adventure was over. Uh, So I sort of realised then that I quite enjoyed doing things that pushed my boundaries a little bit where I was kind of uncomfortable and things sort of snowballed from there. So I then went off and started university and in my Easter and summer holidays, I ended up going off on a number of trips from hitchhiking to Morocco with some uni mates to walking the Camino de Santiago, which is a 500 mile, 800 kilometer pilgrimage route across the north of Spain. Um, And the more things I did, the more I loved it and enjoyed it and felt like there was something something there that I wanted to really pursue and just spend more and more time doing. So is that how you came up with the idea for the kayak across the uh, across the continent? So kayaking the continent I can't actually take any claim any responsibility for the idea behind that Uh, it's quite a funny story I um, so this was after I'd finished university, it's 2017, 2018, I think, 2017. Um, I was working at a law firm at the time, and I remember it was a slightly miserable autumnal October evening, um, and I was on a website called Explorers Connect, which is a sort of expedition teammate finding platform, basically. Um, and I, was, I wasn't looking for anything in particular, but this advert cropped up and there was a girl who was looking for someone to kayak across Europe with her. And there were just a couple of things about the sort of advert that she posted that just really captured my attention. And it sounded like such a cool trip. So without thinking about it at all, I just sent her an email. I was like, hey, if you haven't found anyone, I'm really interested in doing this. And I heard back from her the following evening and she had posted that advert three months before. And during that time, she'd had over 80 women from around the world reply to it because she was after a female in particular. Um, and she'd narrowed it down to two women who she was going to confirm which one it was the following day. She was like, send me your info, send me a bit about yourself, your experience and all that, and I'll consider you. So I replied with the sorts of things that I've been up to, and that I was at the time I was based in Oxford and that sort of thing. Um, and it then transpired that we'd actually gone to the same school. She'd been five years below me at our um, secondary school in Oxford, and she still lived a couple of miles away from me. Um, whereas the two other women she was considering are in like Scotland and Australia or something crazy like that. Um, so we had a chat on the phone and just hit it off just like that. And neither of us looked back from that phone call. It was like we were fully committed to kayaking across Europe together. And we did. Oh, wow. <laughs> and how long did that take? It was five months of actual kayaking. It was a very long trip. <laughs> <laughs> and you kayaked much before that? I mean, I'd kayaked on holidays and for fun and sort of recreationally, never taking it particularly seriously. I think the longest I've been in a kayak was probably a couple of hours or maybe like a half day paddling around the coast in Cornwall, things like that. Uh, so we had a pretty steep learning curve once we decided to actually do this trip. <laughs> I mean, you said you guys hit it off from the start. Were there a few sort of um, moments along the way or where you sort of capsized or she pushed you out of the kayak or anything like that I mean we were probably both tempted to try and push each other out at times um and so many people had warned us going into this trip so we were in a tandem kayak a double kayak and people like refer to it as the divorce maker the relationship breaker as I say if you go if you try this trip you won't be speaking by the end of it you're going to hate each other um but that just wasn't the case for us like we it brought us so much closer together we were sharing a tent for about two months as well um so we were sharing a tent quite a small tent sharing a kayak we were completely inseparable but we just we could pick up on everything about each other so like we could get a sense if I was feeling a bit grouchy or I was hungry or particularly tired or just a bit like annoyed with the world Kate kind of knew just to let me have my quiet time or should like give me a snack bar um and it was the same like you just yeah we we learned to 
be very, very good together um, and kind of each other as sisters now because, yeah, we survived quite a lot together on that trip and it brought us so close. In doing that sort of trip, because you're following the sort of coastline, what were the sort of highlights of it? So we, oh my gosh, so many highlights. Um, Paddling through capital cities to start with. So we started in London and had a couple of days paddling down the Thames, around the Kent coast and across the channel over to France. So that first stretch was coastal and it was quite cool, quite scary at times, sort of paddling around the cliffs in low cloud, poor visibility. Um, That was another learning curve for us. Um, But getting to see London and Budapest, places like that from the river was really, really incredible. Um, That's not a perspective that most people get to see. Um, But actually, I think probably the best bits of it were the people that we met along the way. Um, In every single country that we went through, the locals uh, that we met were so kind and so welcoming and hospitable. And we were showing such generosity, um, a lot of confusion as well. Uh, people were always incredibly baffled by these two girls in a massive kayak just sort of rocking up and saying they'd come from London. Like generally, yeah, it was met with confusion and disbelief. But once people realised we were serious, they just wanted to do whatever they could to help us. That was incredibly special. So um, that took, wait, how long did that take? Five, five months? Yeah. And then after that, you came back. I mean, how old were you when you did that trip? I was, oh, that's a good question. It was 2018. Um, yeah, so I was 25, 24 turning 25. And then from that, did that sort of snowball your ambition to sort of do this more and more and try and find a way of making it work? Yeah, I think that ambition had already been there. So even when I was still at university, I kind of deep down knew that I wanted to try and make a career out of adventure. But at that point, I didn't know anyone in the adventure industry. I didn't know anyone who did this sort of thing. And everyone around me was saying that is completely unrealistic. That is not a viable career option. Come on, think think sensibly for once. Um, So after graduating, I worked at a law firm for about 18 months. which was, yeah, actually I'm not going to talk about that, <laughs> an experience. Um, so I worked at a law firm for 18 months and during that time went off and did do some other trips. Um, between graduating and starting at the law firm, I went and spent five weeks trekking across um, part of Arctic Sweden by myself, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, and did things like travel to Morocco and climb Mount Tuvkal and went to Arctic Norway. Um, but really, I knew that I wasn't in an office job, an office nine to five long term. That was just a, a stint to get it out of my parents' systems. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of that. Um, you know, I think it, you know, it's a very sort of similar case of, you know, I think I, it was in 2017, I... I sort of knew I, I wanted to do this. Um, but of course, it's quite difficult to figure it out in terms of when people ask, oh, well, how are you going to get your monthly income? How are you going to pay rent? How are you going to do that? You sort of haven't got a clue, but you sort of know deep down that that's the sort of path and you just sort of go with it and work it out later. Yeah, completely. Was that how you sort of felt? Yeah, I I sort of knew the kayaking trip definitely propelled me into that career more. I'd been I'd gone part time at the law firm, so I was doing part time office job and part time was already starting to do a little bit of public speaking and writing. Um, so I'd started to figure out where those potential forms of income were coming from, um, and had sort of done a little bit of work with brands and got a few sponsored. Um, a few trips sponsored some sort of gear things like that so I knew that there were these opportunities um, but I also was aware that it was going to be a real hard slog to create enough opportunities to sustain myself each month uh, but yeah the kayaking trip coming back from that I didn't have to work too hard for those opportunities for a good sort of year and a half I think because the trip became 
quite high, high profile and uh, it was a world first and it was a very long and exciting trip uh, that sort of naturally lent itself to a lot of public speaking and writing um, which yeah enabled me to sort of go full-time as an adventurer. And then you quit the law firm? Yeah I did yeah I, I quit that before I went off kayaking. Um, my boss very kindly offered to hold the job until I came back and we're still on fantastic terms. Um, but I would be surprised if I ever end up in a nine to five in an office again. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And so after that, you had a sort of year and a half doing public speaking, sort of talking about it. That sort of drive the next project that you did? Um, it certainly gave me the um, headspace to be thinking about what I wanted to do next. Um, and one of the things, the kayaking trip was absolutely fantastic. And I sort of mentioned the people that we got to meet along the way and the hospitality that we received. But part of me was still really craving um, the kind of remoteness of the trek that I had done previously in Arctic Sweden. Um, and so as I was starting to think about what I wanted to do next, I decided that actually I wanted to go somewhere away from people. Um, despite being quite a sociable person, um, I do love being by myself and I really, really enjoy solo uh, expeditions. Absolutely no offence to Kate, my kayaking partner, because she was a fantastic kayaking partner. But I do also really thrive <laughs> solo. Um, so I, yeah, sort of started thinking about what I wanted to do and decided that a three-month solo trek across Arctic and Northern Scandinavia was the... Uh, the next one for me, which was last. And that was the three-month trek across Sweden? Yeah, so I started in, um, it's called the Trerix Roset. It's where Finland, Sweden and Norway meet up in the Arctic. And I sort of followed the mountains on the Swedish-Norwegian border for about a thousand kilometres. Um, so I was kind of hopping between countries, but it was mainly, mainly in Sweden. Oh, great. And was that winter or summer? I mean, did you get the chance to see the Northern Lights? That one was summer, so I didn't see the Northern Lights on that trip, but I did have the midnight sun, uh, which is quite confusing when you're in a tent trying to sleep and it's like daylight at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's unreal. And um, And so you've sort of, because I sort of saw you've been doing sort of mini adventures as well, these sort of micro adventures where you go away for the weekend and doing that. Is that quite a, are you, do you sort of plan to do these each weekend or are you sort of once a month, you plan a trip and you go for it? I, it's not even as sort of pre-planned as that. I tend to get a sense that I've been, in one place for too long or I haven't had my adventure fix and I sort of crave a night under tarp or just under the stars in fact um, or a change of scene for the last just over a year I've been living in Cornwall which has been fantastic um, but it's the longest I have stayed put and stayed at home in years and years and years which has been interesting I've loved it but I have felt that I need to sort of get my adventure fix so things like going for a night and Vivian by the coast, um, or even just a couple of days away, have been a fantastic way to get that little hit of adventure and change of scene, sort of, yeah, a bit of a refresh, definitely. Well, I imagine that's that's what lockdown really does for you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you stay put for a very long time. Yeah, eight months not leaving the county was a different experience for me. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is probably the longest I've stayed put for, yeah, three years. Yeah. It's, um, how have you found it? <laughs> I, I was actually okay because I, I, I'd sort of done three years and I was, I was ready to be sort of placed for a bit. But as I say, now I'm sort of scratching at the surface, like a sort of cat trying to get out of the house, just sort of scratching <laughs> slowly, thinking about the next one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was me maybe six weeks ago, and then I managed the way just before just before we started our second lockdown. So I'm quite lucky with the timing there. And so you're out in Sweden. Um, how did that all go for you? 
Well, it um, swings and roundabouts. The I was uh, meant to be doing a seven, eight day trek, uh, and the first six days were, were absolutely fantastic. Honestly, I, I would say that the sort of the six best days of adventure I have ever had was everything I had dreamt it would be and more. Um, I honestly couldn't believe it. I think I really needed it as well, having not had a proper adventure fix since January. By the time October came, I, I needed something, so I really, really appreciated it. Um, but yeah, then day six, things changed a little bit, and I had had so much snow for a couple of days um, that I went from trekking in sort of ankle-deep snow that was fine to trek in, I could make easy progress, to that then being up to my knees and sometimes up to my waist for about 90% of the time, which is absolutely exhausting. Um, and the issue that I then faced was I had about 36 kilometers left to go. Um, and that was meant to take me two days and I had enough food for that, no problem. But because of the amount of snow, I, my progress was just so drastically slowed. I was doing sort of half the distance that I wanted to. Um, and it was exhausting and brutally cold, about minus 15 to minus 18, the wind chill, um, and I knew that I wouldn't make it back to the village before I ran out of food. So I faced a really tricky decision, um, but ended up having to activate the SOS on my Garmin, on my sort of GPS device. And um, yeah, got rescued by a helicopter, which was all quite dramatic. And I really don't like being the one that causes a, causes a scene and makes a fuss. Um, but needs must there was no way that I would have got back without it and I got a helicopter ride and I got to see the northern lights that night so yeah there were some bonuses to it um helicopter ride out is not not the worst thing in the world but I'm sure I'm sure at the time you're sort of you know probably in quite a uh dramatic situation for you to sort of pull the trigger and have to be rescued yeah it was really interesting trying to make the decision because there was no um there was no actual urgency to it there was no immediate danger I had enough food for another couple of days I had plenty of warm clothes I had like a really good tent I had all the gear with me that I needed I could start a fire if I needed to so I whenever I had imagined activating that SOS and bailing out of an adventure I had always imagined it would be a really intense moment where everything's going wrong or like someone's injured themselves or I could break my leg but it was actually, other than the fact that it was kind of a gale force blizzard around me and really, really cold, everything else was under control. Um, so it was really hard to reconcile that situation with the fact that actually I did need rescuing. Um, so it was it was really hard to make that decision. And a big part of me for a while felt like I was really overreacting. Um, in hindsight, and having spoken to the Swedish Mountain Rescue Team, I know that I wasn't overreacting at all and I know that I absolutely made the right call. Um, but it was really hard to try and sort of see the situation for what it was. Um, yeah, it was, it was tricky. And it was also hard facing that completely by myself. Like I couldn't phone anyone for advice. I couldn't get someone to tell me I was doing the right thing or provide other options. It was, I couldn't communicate with anyone until I activated the SOS. Uh, and that was that was probably the hardest bit of it. It was incredibly, yeah, isolating. Not fun. <laughs> and so are these uh, sort of rescues sort of commonplace with your adventures or is this a one-off? <laughs> this is very much a one-off. Um, I've never had to activate the SOS. I have had to get the emergency services involved once before on the trek that I was doing last year in actually more dramatic circumstances um I it's a kind of funny story I had been stung by a hornet on my finger just below my knuckle um and I had such a severe reaction that my finger pretty much doubled in size um which would kind of be okay but I had a ring on my finger I'd made the mistake of keeping my rings on for the trek I was doing and my ring acted as a tourniquet and cut circulation off to my finger which then turned blue and had absolutely no blood flowing through it. And um, a Swedish chap that I was with tried to cut the ring off my finger with the little scissors on a pen knife and actually just managed to gouge my finger 
So I then had a blue finger, a ring that was not coming off at all, and then blood pouring down my hand. Um, and we realised that, yeah, we needed to get the emergency services involved to get the ring off. So I had to go in an ambulance, get some paramedics. Um, he very probably got the ring off and then took me to a hospital because they wanted me to have stitches. Um, but I was very lucky that time round. Um, first of all, because had we waited a couple of hours, I think it would have gone too long without circulation. Um, and the paramedics said they would have had to amputate. So, you know, now really avoided that um but also for the eight days running up to that I had been completely by myself I'd been I hadn't had phone signal I'd had my Garmin and my SOS um but yeah I'd been by myself in my tent and I would have had to activate the SOS to get someone to rescue me and again I would have had to make that call by myself um it would have been quite fun to get a helicopter then as well but I was grateful to have another person with me and actually trying to him calm he got very worked up so trying to keep him calm was almost a bigger focus than what was going on with my finger which I was grateful for so what the guy who was actually meant to be looking at helping you was actually the one sort of panicking and (laughs) mental and you were like no no no, calm down everything's all right and yeah and it only got worse after he cut my finger as well because then he was so apologetic and he just didn't know what to do like you know, he'd, he'd actually hurt me then as well. He'd made the situation worse. So I was having to really be like, David, it's fine. You're trying to help. Your heart was in the right place. Maybe just misjudge this one a little bit. Don't take pen knife scissors to someone again. Um, pen knife scissors. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're as blunt. They're usually pretty blunt. So it was the sharpest thing we had. I mean, it shows how desperate we had got by that point. <laughs> was this a proper Swiss army or were we talking made in China? Oh, no, it was a, it was a proper Swiss army. It, you know not like 127 <laughs> hours <laughs> oh, no thankfully yeah i'm sure and so when you're out in these sort of situations and you know times are pretty tough what sort of motivates you to sort of keep going oh that's a good question um generally so the toughest times to me actually aren't these kind of moments where i'm about to lose a finger or having to consider getting rescued by a helicopter for me they're like the more challenging moments are um when the weather has been crap for like three days in a row and it's really foggy and i don't have the views and it's foggy underfoot and everything's wet um those are the moments where actually i struggle the most um and it's in those moments i think the the main thing that i do is for starters I remind myself that I have chosen to put myself in that situation and I yeah I've taken this conscious decision to go and do something because I want to challenge myself I want to push myself and see how tough I really am and it's that those sorts of moments that are going to prove to me that I am tough so I almost get competitive with myself be like come on you can do this so what you've had wet socks for four days big deal just crack on um so there's that and then trying to sort of distract myself from what's going on around me as well. I've got a ridiculously good imagination. I can daydream for days on end. And that honestly gets me through like really, really miserable sections of these adventures and these tracks. Um, and I, yeah, I rely on that a lot because I don't take, I don't take headphones. Uh, so where some people would choose to listen to some like really motivational music that's going to just snap them out of that mood or, but on a podcast, distract themselves or an audiobook, I kind of don't want that easy out. I want I want it to be my own responsibility, like fully down to me, to get through those moments. And so far I have. <laughs> I suppose also it's quite nice because by not taking headphones, you really immerse yourself within the environment that you have. You know, I think it's very easy just to put headphones on and although you're sort of looking around, if you have them on and you're listening to something, you don't hear what's around you. You don't hear the sort of subtle things like bird songs or crickets or whatever it yeah, is. Or, yeah. or the sound of the snow crunching on your feet. Oh, such a lovely sound. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I realised on one of my earlier trips, I was walking a thousand miles across France and Spain by myself and 
big sections of that trip, I was kind of having to walk through really industrial built up areas. There was just tarmac and concrete all around. And it was really monotonous and testing in a very different way. Not physically testing, but mentally, it was so, so challenging. And I remember putting an audiobook on um, and I walked for a couple of hours listening to this audiobook and then turned around and looked back and I had absolutely no recollection of what I had just spent a couple of hours walking past. Like I couldn't have described it. I could go back there now and I wouldn't know that I'd ever been there. And I kind of realised that I get so easily distracted and I, I didn't want that. I wanted to experience every bit of it, the highs and the lows. So yeah, no, no more headphones for me, no easy out. <laughs> sort of like driving on autopilot, you sort of get in the car, you drive, <laughs> and then suddenly you you arrive and you're like, oh, can't even remember what's just happened. <laughs> Don't think I'll be getting in a car with you anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I haven't driven for a while, actually. That's a good point. <laughs> so, um, so you've done this i and i sort of see from your instagram you're quite into cold water swimming at the moment have you always been into that i've only just got into it over the last year or so uh it's so i i did bits of it growing up so i'm part swedish and every summer holiday i'd go to sweden um and we would always swim in the sea and the lakes (laughs) that's pretty cold water um so i think i kind of had a bit of an introduction to it growing up you kind of you do just jump in no matter what the weather no matter how how cold the water but then in my adult life I didn't until I moved to Cornwall really so just over a year ago I started swimming um and particularly since March uh, I have swum uh at least a couple of times a week for March April May I swam every single day in rain or shine and there was a lot of rain for quite a while um and yeah through I think for me the biggest thing that I found through that cold water swimming is is the community my friends I'm really lucky that down here I've got a group there are six of us women and we have all become friends through dunking ourselves in uncomfortably cold bodies of water um and that's just uh there's such sort of camaraderie through doing that and the high that you have afterwards you can share that with friends it's yeah, that's really, really powerful. Oh, do you know, I haven't actually measured the sea recently, but we were swimming in a quarry um, a couple of weeks ago, and that was 10 and a half or 11 degrees. So it's cold, but it's not too frequent yet. <laughs> no, I, I went, I was up in Hampstead Heath, because um, I'm up in London at the moment, and that was 12, which I'd say is pretty... Uh, pretty cold yeah that's that's pretty nifty how long do you stay in for how long can you last three four five minutes yeah sounds about right yeah i I, we it sort of actually started in the summer down in devon we were we used to go every morning before breakfast to go for a sort of swim and down there actually it was in the summer it was september (laughs) and Anyway, the sea was freezing. I mean, you'd have thought it might have warmed up over the summer period, but it was so cold. And gradually, day after day, you slightly get used to it. I'm, st- I'm slowly trying to mould myself into cold showers, but as I say, the difference between cold and warm showers is there's quite a drastic difference. Yeah, some of my friends really swear by their, their cold showers and... A couple of them have outdoor showers as well that literally just hooked up to their hose, so that is really cold, and they love that, but I cannot go on board with it. I'm fine going in the sea. Like, yes, the first kind of minute or the first 30 seconds when you're walking in can be pretty brutal, but once you're in, it's fine. But I just, yeah, I can't do cold showers yet. No, I, th- I think it takes a bit of practice and learning slowly. You sort of have to just yeah. turn it from the sort of warm to the mid-range and then... <laughs> Or you just go, right, suck it up. (laughs) Maybe I should give it a try. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth a try. (laughs) And so what's your plan for the next year or so with these adventures? You've got something in the pipeline? Um, Well, I actually don't for the first time in quite a while um, because, very excitingly, I'm getting a dog. 
Um, and this for me is like the most exciting thing that has ever happened in my whole entire life. I've been waiting probably eight years to have my own dog. Um, and I finally decided now is the time. But obviously that means I can't really go away for any long periods of time because it's just my dog. I live by myself. Um, so next year is going to be all about micro adventures with a puppy in tow. Um, I do have a little trip planned for January or February, going back up to the Arctic, this time with skis, so I don't get caught out by all the snow. Um, and so that'll be about 10 days, I think, is the plan, predominantly in Finland. Um, but other than that, yeah, my my adventure calendar is looking pretty bare. <laughs> And in terms of your, because you obviously spend a lot of time up in sort of Scandinavia in Sweden also, what would you, um, what sort of parts in the Arctic would you recommend our listeners if they're sort of thinking on going on these big hikes? Oh, so I would say my, my favourite place personally, well, the most accessible place is probably obviously National Park. And it's best known for being the start or end point of the Kingsleden, the King's Trail. Um, and there's a fantastic mountain station. It's very much set up for hikers or skiers in the winter. Um, and from there, there is just a vast network of trails that you can follow for sort of you can do a four or five day hike or trek, or you can go for well <laughs> months if you're like me. Um, but that's an incredibly good place to start off um, because you have a really good mix of there being the infrastructure and the support, and you've got cabins that you can stay in during the sort of peak summer and winter months but you also do get a sense of being in the middle of nowhere and you can avoid people you can avoid those cabins if you want to be as off-grid as possible um so Arbusco, i think is the one and it's also one of the best places in the world definitely the best place in europe to see the northern lights so you at the moment you said you are studying at university is that sort of to go in with the sort of adventures in the future or is that something else on the side? So the Masters, I finished it in September and that wasn't, that was just for me, really. Um, there was no sort of end game with it. There was no career step or anything like that. It was just because the Masters sounded really, really interesting and there was an opportunity for me to research things that I was genuinely really passionate about um so that has been an incredible year I've <laughs> loved being back in academia which really surprised me after not particularly enjoying my undergrad um another one of those things like with after my Duke of Edinburgh saying that I'd never track in camp when I finished my undergrad I was like oh never going back to university and now that I have I have loved it um yeah so that was for me uh, and I was really lucky to be able to um, fully incorporate adventure into my dissertation, um, into my thesis. And I was researching how self-supported adventures and expeditions, so exactly the sorts of things that I do, how they shape resilience. Um, and it was honestly a privilege to be able to research that. And I interviewed other adventurers who have done way, way cooler trips than I have. <laughs> Getting like an hour to just talk to them about what their experiences were was fantastic. Um, and yeah, I actually found out recently I got a distinction for it all as well, which um, I'm really proud of. I was sitting behind a computer during the summer, paid off. <laughs> well, you had the whole of lockdown as well to blitz through <laughs> it, which was quite probably quite nice. Yeah, that is true. No, is true. no FOMO <laughs> while you're doing out. your. Yeah, no. That definitely helps. <laughs> Yeah, my, my brother was doing his dissertation as well, and he said it was brilliant because no one's going out, no one's allowed to do anything. All you have to do is sit in and do uh, do the work, and that was it. I would definitely have found it much harder if I was watching people going off on really cool adventures. I would have been, that would have been pretty much hell, having to stay in one place and not having the option of going when other people were. So thankfully, <laughs> no one else things <laughs> nice are you have you named the dog yet yeah he is going to be called bilbo ah like uh lord of the rings yeah well there's a part of the show where we ask the same five questions to every guest each week um 
And the first one is on your trips, what's the one bizarre thing that you crave or miss from home? <laughs> this is going to sound, I don't know if this is bizarre or really boring, um, but the thing that I miss the most is fresh fruit and vegetables. Like I really get severe cravings for fruit salad. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, on the podcast, we've had chairs, Jaffa cakes, <laughs> coffee. And I always take fresh coffee with me. Coffee, proper coffee, I always have. So that's never going to be on, on this. Things are great. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, we're sort of adding to the collection of bizarre things, <laughs> which is great. But fruit and, yeah. fruit and veg is not that bizarre, I wouldn't say. It's, the, it's honestly the only thing that I really crave. I'm I'm totally fine going without anything else. I don't miss anything really. I'm pretty happy on my adventures. <laughs> um, did you have a favourite adventure book? Yeah, I put some thought into this, and I think the one book that I have read a couple of times and love, and it inspires and moves me every time, is Dare to Do by Sarah Eaton. It is absolutely incredible um she spent four years cycling kayaking and rowing around the world and her book is phenomenal oh yes i i I went to a talk um where she was speaking which was fascinating but she's got some fairly harrowing tales of being rescued from that ocean rose because a couple of them went drastically wrong um and were really traumatizing but she writes and speaks about it in such a yeah moving way it, you get emotional reading it kind of makes me do an ocean rowing but also terrifies me which kind of makes me want to do it more <laughs> I, I i suppose for me ocean rowing there's something about it which doesn't appeal to me at all but at the same time that appeals to me <laughs> it's the sense of because you don't want to do something you should probably try it and see rather than just sort of turn it to one side. It's all these sort of adventures where I'm sort of like, no, that doesn't really appeal to me. But then at the same time, I'm like, if someone said, you know, go and do this, do you want to? I, in a blink of an eye, just go, yep, sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's see what, see what happens, see how it goes. Yeah. Go from there. I just have this image in my mind of being in an ocean rowing boat by myself in the middle of an ocean and just looking around and seeing water in every direction and that I want to experience that. So uh, another one is, your, did you have an inspirational figure growing up? I think probably, and this is with hindsight, <laughs> when I was growing up, my inspirational figures were like Stephen Gerrard. Um, I've changed quite a lot. Yeah, are you a Liverpool a... fan as well? I was once upon a time. I used to play football in a previous life. Um, but kind of looking back when I think about it, I think actually my aunt, my mum's sister, um, she was really, really inspirational and influenced me a lot without me kind of realising it. She worked for the World Health Organisation and lived all over the world and whenever we got to see her, it would be so exciting to hear about hearing about these countries that she lived in. And she'd always bring us something from that country to tell us these stories. And it was always so captivating. And I think it kind of instilled the sense of wanting to experience things and experience the world. Um, yeah, so I'd say Auntie Maga. <laughs> She's going to love that. Very nice. Did you have a sort of favourite quote as well? I do have a favourite quote, and it's one that I actually, I use a lot in life. Um, it is by St Francis of Assisi, and it is, start by doing what's necessary, then doing what's, do what's possible, and then you're doing the impossible. I just feel like I've possibly paraphrased that a little bit, but it's just that idea of when you've got a massive task or challenge ahead of you just work out what that first step is you absolutely have to do crack on with that and then things do just sort of start to fall into place and once you've done one thing something else is then possible and yeah so I used that when we were starting the kayaking trip um when we needed funding and we had to plan a 4,000 kilometer route and we hadn't even been in a kayak together and it was just this gargantuan task we kind of looked at what the essential things were that we needed to do and started with that and I used it for my dissertation as well when I had like 
20,000 words to write and a research project to create and <laughs> no ideas. Yeah, so that is my go-to quote. Ah, very nice. Yeah, we've had some good ones on the show so far and yeah, it's always good to uh, hear different ones. Yeah, I love it. It's quite funny though because actually, well, actually there's so many that you could sort of reel off. But there hasn't been like a repeat of anyone. Oh, really? Yeah, they've all, they've all been different, which is good. Ah, I like that. There's, a, there's another one that I've actually got stuck up on my fridge um, that I like. It's quite relevant now, I guess. Um, failure is the condiment that gives success its flavor. And that, that is good. Yeah. I, one of my favorites was Churchill's one about Failure is not fatal. Success is not final. It's always the courage to continue that counts. Ooh, I like that a lot. Which I have to say, I came across it when I was doing my one of my runs, and uh, one of my followers sort of. I, I was sort of browsing through people who like commented on one of my uh, pictures, and it was like her sort of bio in her Instagram, and I was like. Oh screenshot I might steal that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good one uh, i thought it was a really good one uh so yeah. um people listening are always keen to travel and go on these sort of grand trips what's the one thing that you would recommend them to get started this is going to sound slightly abstract but um it's something i wish someone had said to me work out what it is that is stopping you from taking that first step so it may be that it's fear of the unknown or it may be that you don't feel like you've got the skills or you don't have the equipment so work out what it is that is being that barrier or preventing you from doing what you want and set about tackling that before you even start thinking about like a big trip or a small trip or like the bigger picture just put some energy and some thought into I guess getting yourself ready to do it so that when the time does come to start that adventure you are ready and you kind of already had that that initial battle to get to the start point. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, I I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Okay. And so um, people listening, how can they find you and follow your adventures in the future with Bilbo? (laughs) <laughs> the best place to find out what me and Bilbo are going to be up to is my Instagram, which is just Anna Blackwell. Um, I've also got a website, annablackwell.co.uk. I'm on Twitter as underscore Anna Blackwell and Facebook, Anna Blackwell Adventurer. I think that's where I'm online. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show and, you know, telling your stories. No worries. It's been great. It's been amazing listening to them. As I say, I look forward to seeing all the adventures that you have with Bilbo in the future. Yeah, thanks. Along with your cold water swims and see how the cold showers go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to give that a try now. That's kind of, now that I've said, oh yeah, this is exactly what you were saying. Now that I've thought I was able to do that, I'm like, well, now I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you could try and do a 30-day challenge of like once every day, just get a group of people to force ourselves to do it and then hold each other accountable so you're like right first of december that's it i'm actually up for that i do need i need accountability i need other people to make sure i stick to things well well okay well we could try that and see how we do <laughs> as long as can some days i have a swim in the sea is my cold water what do i have to do oh that's that's a tough one i think i think that can be allowed okay. <laughs> I'll be looking for rivers. Especially well. if it's <laughs> December, the sea's going to be pretty cold, air temperature as well. Yeah, that is true. I think uh, I think as long as you have one cold shower, one cold shower a day, that's it. You can have a cold for two minutes and be like, right, I'm done. I'm going to have warm now. <laughs> but I, th- I think that's okay. Get on board with that. We'll, we'll try that. We'll try and get some more people involved. Anyone listening? Fancy December challenge? Thirty days or thirty-one? cold shower every morning yeah or afternoon or evening oh yeah of she, course good time it's not let's not put any Let, let's not put any constraints on it <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough you just have to do it once a day <laughs> it's got to be pre-sunrise and then you've got to go outside and watch the sunrise <laughs> well thank you so much again and uh yeah december challenge it is 
I look forward to it. Join us next time on the Modern Adventurer podcast. These things are obviously really sort of in your face when you're there. And, you know, I got I got actually chucked in a room and, and held for three days in one, one village. And I got treated, you know, to a stage where I, I was trying to obviously be good person all the time and, and treat them well and and it, it was just there was just real suspicion and real thank you for listening you can watch the videos on youtube now and please tell your friends about the podcast subscribe and leave a review on itunes as it makes a huge difference to the show thank you and have a great day Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.